high school and college sports right here in Central Illinois. I'll discuss what I saw in the past week, what's coming up on Channel 1450, and what we're looking forward to. Episode 12, yep, that means we're three months into our second season of a weekly podcast talking high school sports in Central Illinois. And that is thanks to our four presenting sponsors, Springfield Clinic, the Abraham Lincoln Capital Airport, the Green Family Stores, and United Community Bank. I still don't have a sponsor for this podcast, so if you're interested, please get in touch. But speaking of sponsors, we have to talk about the sponsor for 6 Minutes with Sauce, which is what we'll start with this week. A chance to talk to Ole Miss senior guard Nick Broker twice a month thanks to an NIL deal with country financial agent Andrew Harvey. The best way to provide you and your family with the best insurance coverage for your life, your car, your house, and so much more. Call Andrew Harvey today. Now, let's get to this week's Six Minutes with Sauce. Welcome into another edition of Six Minutes with Sauce. We've got Nick Broker from Ole Miss on the line to talk all things Rebel football and, you know, anything else we want to talk about. But uh, I think we should definitely catch up. It's been two weeks since we talked, and you guys are 2-0. and So let's start there. How does that feel to, to start your senior season 2-0? and yeah, I mean, that's definitely, like, the goal, you know, to go one and each week. So we've done that uh, the first two weeks, like you said. So, uh, you know, it's pretty exciting. What's the biggest thing you've learned about this team? I think the biggest thing, you know, is we have a lot of talent. Um, we're still kind of coming together as, you know, affiliated people. So um, it was kind of good for us to play those two games and kind of figure out how we are as a team. But, I mean, there's a lot of talent on this team. So uh, that's been really cool to see. As you look across the college football slate, I mean, a lot of teams have a loss on their record already. It was a, kind of a crazy second weekend. Um, what do you kind of see as a team when, when you see, you know, big teams struggling or big teams losing like that? Does it keep you more focused? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it keeps you on your toes. And like you said, I mean, a lot of teams have lost and a lot of really good teams with that too. So, you know, we, we definitely know that could be us. So we just got to continue to put our best foot forward and prepare for every game. Last week's win was... 59 to 3, is that correct? Yeah, sounds right. Um, um, a much bigger spread than, than week one. What did you guys need to do differently, or how was how were, the, how were those two games different? Yeah, I think just for us, it was just kind of how we approached the game. We were kind of in the same situation both games, and we were up a lot by half. And in the first game, we kind of just coasted and let it ride. And in the second half, we kind of took over and came out hot and came out firing again. So that was really good to see, to see us kind of keep our foot in the gas in the second game. Um, we talked about it. Two weeks ago, but the move from left tackle to guard, uh, how how has that felt in these two games for you? Yeah, you know, the second game definitely felt a lot better. First game, there's a couple points where it's, it kind of felt odd. You know, it felt different than practice to the game, but second game, I felt a lot more comfortable, so that was really good to see. What is the biggest difference for practicing being a guard versus playing being a guard? I mean, just the game's always different, and never really played in a real true game playing guard so it was good to kind of get some game experience under my, under my belt it's pretty well documented nationally that you guys have two quarterbacks that are very good um, what is that like in a locker room when you have two guys and, and you don't know who's starting yeah I mean the good news for us is both those guys are really good guys and they want to do whatever's best for the team so um, you know from that perspective you know we're very fortunate we're, we're very blessed to have not only two really great quarterbacks but two really great guys that everybody likes and they both get along really well with each other. What do you see from each one of them that that has that you have confidence in them? Yeah, I mean, I have confidence in either of them. Honestly, they're both really talented guys, and can really make all the, all the throws and make all the plays. So we can't really go wrong with whoever we pick. It's also pretty well documented. All the, I mean, Ole Miss brought in a ton of transfers this year. 
how does that help? Uh, I mean, how do you guys kind of, you know, form that team chemistry? It, it's easy to say that in, in practice, but when you get in a game, you know, you kind of have to have that, that team camaraderie, that hunker down mentality. You know, how, how have you seen the team chemistry come together these two weeks? Yeah, I mean, that's been really cool to see, to kind of see us grow and really come together, especially this past week. I thought we did a really good job coming together and really buying into everything. The Threads release that the the Ole Miss, um, you know, social media program does, I kind of want to ask just that from a, you know, professional level because I'm curious, um, doing doing video work like that is, is obviously a higher level than we're used to, but at the same time, um, you know, what goes into that process for you as, you know, the sort of on-air talent for, for, some, for a video like that? Yeah, for me, I mean, I walked into the gas station and they had some cameras ready. Uh, for like me picking up the chicken or whatever and then we drove over there's like a little mural that was shown and they had all types of cameras up there they had like a little drone and they had their, their own personal cameras that one kind of far away one pretty close up and some more on the side so that was really cool to see to see all the tech uh, the technology that was used for it does the attention or you know around the area and the neighborhood and the gas station kind of all turn to you or do they have to kind of like shut the street down for that filming they didn't really have to shut it down which was good. I mean, things stayed pretty normal, which was fun. What, uh, how long does that process take? Like you said, you kind of just have to show up, but uh, at the same time, when did you kind of know that was happening or what was the timeline like? So I was told that we were going to do it, I think a day or two prior. I knew we were going to do it. Um, They had everything ready for me. They had all my uniform and everything laid out for me. So once I got out of class, I just walked over to my locker, picked it up, and they drove me over. And I think it took us, between actually driving there, getting the, the piece of me going to get the chicken, and then driving to the next spot, and then recording there, I think it took like an hour. Yeah. Like right on the dock, an hour, five minutes. You can't really complain when you get to eat during a video shoot, right? No, not at all. <laughs> um, how do you guys prepare for week three? What's, what's the biggest thing on your guys' agenda this week? Yeah, I mean... I think the biggest thing, you know, we have our first Power 5 opponent, which will be a really good test for us, and we're going on the road, so um, that'll be our first road trip this year as this team. So, uh, you know, those are two things that we have to really prepare for and kind of hone in on, is that we got a really good opponent coming in, and we got to go to their place. That's six minutes, man. I appreciate it. Thanks to Andrew Harvey, country financial agent, for uh, sponsoring this, and uh, thank you for your time, Nick. I appreciate it. We'll, we'll be watching. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you to Nick for his time and thank you to Andrew Harvey with Country Financial for his NIL money. Now, what did I see last week? Lutheran High got last week started with a convincing sweep of the Port of Blue Jays on Thursday night. They beat them in straight sets to continue to impress. On Friday, it was the Sagamo showdown in Athens between the newcomers and the Warriors. Honestly, I was very impressed with the Spartans. Olympia has a great team, and they run their system very well. They held the ball, controlled the tempo against Athens at home, and had them on the ropes, but Coach Knox and his staff made some great adjustments in Cameron Bigard, and the boys came through late for the big win. By the way, Athens is at Auburn this week and then hosts Williamsville next week, so prepare accordingly. On Saturday, it was Rochester at Springfield High for me at Southeast, and that was... Not pretty. The Rockets had no trouble with the Senators, and I was out of there before halftime. Rochester hosts Glenwood next week, by the way, so if you're not going to Athens next week, plan to go to Rochester for week five. On Monday, I was out in Jacksonville for a doubleheader. Two great soccer matchups. First, it was Springfield High beating Quincy 3-1. Thanks to Vinnie Pratt. Kid is a stud, so get used to hearing that name. 
After that, it was Glenwood beating Quincy Notre Dame by a score of one to nothing, thanks to a goal from Miles Calderon. Josh Jones gets the shutout, and they didn't even have Carter down in playing in that one. Impressive showing my first time seeing the Titans, especially considering how good of a talent Tanner Anderson is for QND. On Tuesday, I had the battle of the two unbeatens in CS8 volleyball action. Norman Uhai taking on Springfield High at Dewey Gymnasium. What a game it was. The Senators impressed me a lot. After beating Rochester last week, then losing at the Lincoln Tourney, they gave the Pioneers plenty to handle, but there's so much talent on Uhai's roster. They prevailed in the end, winning in three sets. What's coming up on Channel 1450? On Thursday night, we plan to get some Williamsville at Plains soccer, some Plains at Athens volleyball, and Williamsville at Riverton volleyball. On Friday night, we're going for a record. We're going to try and bring you highlights from every single game in the CS8 and Sagamo Conference. We've never done it before, but we think we can make it happen if everything goes according to plan, which it never does, but we're going to try it. We think we might be able to pull it off. I will be at Jacksonville at SHG for that great matchup. On Saturday, Robert will be at the Glenwood Tennis Invite. On Sunday, we'll be at the Milliken Women's Basketball High School Camp for a fun day of great training. On Monday, we will kick off the City Volleyball Tournament. All games are at Springfield High. Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday is the title game. On Tuesday night next week, Quincy Notre Dame is at SHG for soccer. That is a big one. Also, Rochester is at Glenwood for soccer, and Springfield is at Jacksonville for soccer. That also means Rochester is at Glenwood for volleyball, Auburn is at Pleasant Plains for volleyball, and Athens is at Williamsville for volleyball. A stacked Tuesday slate. Next Wednesday is the Sagamo Conference Boys Golf Tournament at the Rail, as well as the Central State 8 Boys Golf Tournament at the Lynx in Jacksonville. It's a busy week coming up. That's what's coming up on Channel 1450. Now, it's time to talk to this week's guest. He's an absolute high school football legend in the state of Illinois. If you follow football in Illinois at all, then you know the name Steve Soucy. He was gracious enough to take some time this week to talk to me about all things playoffs and what to expect. Here he is, the high school football guru in the state of Illinois, Steve Soucy. All right, I'd like to welcome in Steve Soucy to the podcast this week. Uh, I think it's, it's a perfect time to steal a few minutes from you now that knowing in five weeks from today we will basically be preparing for the crazy Saturday that is playoff announcement. So let's start here. How are you doing almost a halfway into the football season this year? Well, first of all, it's surprising to even talk about that. It feels like we just got started and, and we're already a third in the books and, and, and heading into, like you said, almost into the midway point of the season here. It, it seems like it's gone super fast. So, uh, you know, just try to sort out you know what your thoughts are on you know based on what I do. I mean, trying to sort out thoughts on you know nearly 500 high school football programs uh, gets a little easier the farther we go into the season. So I'm always grateful for more data and more information that we can find. But uh, just trying to get it all lined up in an accurate reading type of situation is always a complex, uh, a complex time of year. Before we get too far into football, I just kind of want to go you know back a little bit and say. You know, I got an email from the IHSA today, and it's like two years ago at this time, we were hanging on every email that we got, just like combing through every word. And so it's crazy to say, you know, we're back to, you know, preparing for every week of football like it's normal. And, you know, two short years ago, this was just a crazy time in Illinois. So it's it's great to be focused on who's getting those four wins, who's getting those five wins, and what classes we're going to be in. Yeah, it really, it's, you know, it's kind of a relief in some 
ways because like you said you you'd be dissecting every word trying to read the the interior meaning of what that might mean and what it could mean for you know something that we were hoping we might have three months down the line and now that we're now that thankfully we appear to be over that over that hill uh you know now we can talk about we're not you know, even last year at this at this point in time, I was I was doing what I really hated doing, but I was uh, I was compiling a forfeit tracker. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and fortunately, there have been very few of those this year, and I I'm, I'm really hopeful that that trend continues. So, you know, for perpetual motion, I just hope it. I hope it's something I never have to do again. Right, especially for what you do, and I kind of want to get into that now and introduce people who maybe don't know who you are or what you do. Um, that's that had to be just a whole nother headache that you never thought or wished that you could have had to worry about. But at the same time, um, it, it was a definitely a, a terrible part of last year and the year before. But uh, like you said, I think we're ready to move on from that and say, you know, there won't be any more COVID forfeits this fall. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really hoping that that's the case. I mean, you always have, you know, a little bit of situation at the beginning of the year that you're maybe wondering about some programs that struggle with numbers. Um, and there's usually a handful of those almost every season that we kind of have to sift through. But, you know, the last couple of years, we, I mean, that number was was multiplied exponentially. So uh, fortunately, you know, once again, we've only got a small handful of teams that are, you know, on a week-to-week basis, maybe looking for someone to fill a spot on their schedule because of a, a forfeit and they would prefer to play rather than take the forfeit win. Um, but, you know, like I said, very small number of those schools this year, and that's a great sign. Right. So let's go to this. How do you? How would you introduce yourself and say, because I would say now to this point you are – you're the go-to guy for high school football in Illinois and, you know, not only media members but coaches – um, administrators know who you are and you know want to reach out to you and say hey you know what's going on with this what do you see here so how would you kind of describe the path to getting there for you and you know how you've how you've become such a significant part of high school football in Illinois it's it's kind of funny you know I mean when people ask me about the origin story about how I got started in this um, I mean I'm, I'm getting a little older, so I'm kind of date myself here. But uh, I, I first started in, in media as a high school senior um, back in 1992, and I was taking call-ins um, on football game results. And this was back when, you know, uh, the only place that you could find statewide scores, this was in the early days of the Internet, was on the AP wire. So a coach... Uh, at the time, uh, Cole City coach Ken Miller was calling me really late on Friday nights and he would be like, hey, do you have a score in this game? And I would look it up on the wire and I'd find it for him. And then finally, about you know six weeks into the process, I was like, why are you asking me for all these strange <laughs> scores that are nowhere near your high school? So then he kind of gave me a primer on how the process worked and he was hoping that his team would, would sneak into the two-way field so they were kind of watching like, you know, the schools around what they thought the cut line was going to be and who was going to qualify and such. And being kind of a obsessive person about things with sports stats and stuff like that, it started to interest me. So I'm like, maybe I'll check this out a little bit. And yeah. then I got addicted to it. <laughs> so it was like, it became kind of a crazy thing with me. And I was like, instead of him asking me what scores that I needed, I'm going to start researching this myself and just tell him what I'm seeing. So before you knew it, it became this 
weird little fascination with me. And, uh, you know, one of my bosses at the time got wind of what I was doing and was like, hey, you know, let's let's see if this has a wider audience. And then all of a sudden people got word of it. And we, you know, and so it, it became it became kind of a little an obsession that got a little bit out of control with me. And then now that we're in the Twitter age and all this other stuff, it's it's become, hey, what do you see? What how do you highlight this? And a lot of people don't realize it. It's I mean, I've I've went from scratching this all out a piece of paper and <laughs> using spreadsheets and formulas and all these other things to try to try to do what I do. Um, I don't know how I did it back then, to be honest with you, because now the now the technology has made this a little bit easier. But it's uh, it's it's become a really strange thing that like if you had told me that you know when I started doing this um, that it would have become what it has become, and it, it it would have really surprised me. And now it's 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 almost become kind of the crux of my um, doing all this, and I, and I I love it. I still enjoy it. Um, we're, we're closing in on, I believe this is the 29th year that I've done it in the, uh, in the way that I've done it. And through all the changes that have happened from six classes to eight classes and, and, you know, multiplier formulas and, and multiplier waivers and all these things that have come (laughs) and gone. And, and, uh, you know, the rules have always changed, uh, you know, just a little bit here and there. And over time, I guess through, uh, osmosis. Uh, I've kind of become the uh, the gatekeeper of explaining the rules to people that don't understand it. So it's uh, it's funny too because my relationship with like the IHSA has changed in regards to this. I, I don't want to say they were reluctant to have me poking around at the beginning, and now they're really welcoming to it. And then you know I'm kind of involved in the process a little bit more than I used to be. Like they would sometimes they contact me in the process like are you seeing the same thing that we're seeing and i you know i would confirm it and i you know or deny it be like hey it's not or i catch a mistake maybe that they've made you know or things like that so it's uh it's it's a fun process and if you if you really start to dig in i think people that don't really know that much about it and start to dig into it they get kind of enamored with it as well Right. I kind of want to, you know, follow up on that I just say discussion um, because I can see why there was probably some resistance because, you know, they the way they run things and it's a it's a business and, you know, they're they're trying to make sure that they get everything right. Um, and I think we definitely learned that in the last few years. But what was that process like to say, you know, hey, I'm not here to like expose you guys. I'm really just trying to get all this information out because people clearly want it. I mean, there's nothing like high school football, especially in Illinois when, I mean, I, I have a job because of it. It's it's a, certainly a passion. And, you know, I could see definitely why there was that resistance. Could you kind of see that as well? Yeah, I, I understood it from the, the, from the point, you know, because it was, I mean, there would be times that like I would, you know, I'd put out a projection or something like that based what I believe the principles to be, and there'd be some variant to what the IHSA had out. And, you know, I've always kind of been like, hey, why was, why was it different than what I had? Not that, I'm, not, not that I'm the arbiter of what's right and fair. I just, like, this is how I believe that the process works. Why am I wrong? Like, can you explain that to me? Yeah. Like, so, I mean, over time, I think... I'm not saying what I did, you know, what I'm doing, like, exposed them to, like, saying, hey, 
why why are your rules like this or you know how are you applying these rules but i think it helped in maybe maybe coming up with a concrete way of saying okay this is why we did this and this i mean because back when we did quads there was a lot of confusion like i was i was on the bandwagon of going to one to thirty classes for various reasons i think personally that's the cleanest way to do it yeah like it eliminates a lot of the interpretation of the situation it's like then it becomes a simple numbers game it's like hey if you're seven and two and got 37 points you're on this line if you're seven and two on 34 you're on this line it doesn't matter if you're in the western illinois tip corner of the state or you know south of champagne i mean that's it all lines up that way that's why i like the eight and seven a classes because they're so clean like you get your 32 qualifiers and then the drums they I, I don't have to, not that I hate, but I made me leery of some of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's I, I think it's been kind of a process over time where, like, you know, I think they understood that I wasn't doing anything out of a malicious intent. It was just people had a lot of questions. I thought I had the ability, for the most part, to try to understand the position that they're in. They can't do what I'm doing, which is... I mean, they can't publicly do it. Yeah, they can't. They they can't. Even the state. I do. I do every single team from one A to eight A every week based on the information that I have. So that's what that's what I'm doing. The process. They obviously, can't do that when they put out a playoff outlook. It's based on only the data that's been completed. So people want to know. People want to know. Hey, what is this going to look like in three weeks? It's a service I can provide. And they can't. Like. That's really what it comes down to. So by you know 2018, 2019, like you said, you've been doing this for a couple of decades. At that point, you had to feel like you were kind of getting into a groove of things. And then you know 2020 hits, and you know everything goes haywire. Um, so it's got to kind of be exciting to kind of get back to normal again this year after you know everybody going through what they have the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean. I- I enjoy talking with coaches and, and school administrators as much as the next guy, but like I kind of earned, I guess the the moniker of being a guy who could find you a game if you wanted one during that time. Yeah, um, and it was it, it, by the end of the season it got tiresome because like you know how that can go. Like people are like, well, we want to play somebody, but we don't want to play somebody too good. You know? <laughs> so it, it became like it became this this chess match between like well who really wants a game and who doesn't here. And so like, I, I'm, I've never been in the business of scheduling football games, but, and I don't mind helping people when they need it, but there's, there's now that there's a lot less of that. It's get into June and July and teams are looking for games. And I maybe try to find a happy marriage between two teams that I know are open, but I'm when during hope, you know, there were 50 schools that were like, Hey, who, who's open? Do you know? And like, usually I had a more concrete list than almost anybody did. So that was, so I'm trying, you know, trying to help make connections between two people that had never spoke before. And it was just, I'm really happy that we've got like, like right now we're in week four and I'm worried about pieces. I'm not wondering, well, there's 22 teams that had to forfeit this week. And, right. and you know, 14 of these guys won a game. The other 
golf and like these are factors that like I just I don't have to I currently don't have to worry about and I'm glad for so as we head into week four of this year's high school football season what does your what does your weekend look like because I mean we do have an occasional Thursday game obviously Friday game Saturday game so what is what is your work schedule like on the weekends and what do you kind of you know hope to accomplish and then push off until Monday or Tuesday well, for the most part, I like, obviously, just like everybody else, like yourself, and I'm trying to get to as many games as I can, realistically. Uh, I usually will, if, if there's a Thursday game available to me, I'm at it. Uh, I'm always at a game on Friday night. Sometimes at games Saturday afternoon as well. Um, but if I'm not on Saturday afternoon, it's, it's usually data collection day. Um, Friday night, I tend to stay up really, really late trying to find every every score that i can i usually get that list down to maybe a couple of straggler scores that i can't find on friday night um and the sooner i get all my scores then the then the process begins um like i will simply go to the remaining games with the data that i have and and go conference by conference and and kind of establish what i think the packing order in that conference is based on what i know and then we'll go through and project the remainder of their games. Um, it's easier with the schools that are inside of their own conferences and don't play any more non-conference games. That's when it gets tricky because then you have to measure conference against conference. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's a kind of a hard thing to do, but um, it gets easier the, with the more data you have. So, like right now, for example, I'm projecting. You know, last week I projected approximately fifteen hundred games. Um, so next after this week that'll be about 250 less yeah so it keeps getting smaller and smaller (laughs) over the course of the season and you have more data to make the remaining decisions a little bit easier to make so it's it's kind of like the first couple of of projections literally take me probably about 30 hours to complete wow so it's 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 and it, I mean, that's counting everything. That's counting the, you know, the, the score inputs, then going through everything, and then the remaining games. Because, I mean, some of them are, are pretty easy to make. Some of them are not. Like, you know, I just have to go, and then you also have to factor in. We've got, you know, I think there are 56 schools that are not in the IHSA playoff system wow. that play Illinois opponents. Yeah. So... And in order to, to correctly track playoff points, you have to track those two. So I got to dig out scores from uh, Missouri, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, um, you know, and find out how those teams do. So I have an accurate representation, or as close to accurate as I can, representation of what playoff points teams have, because obviously that affects seeds. At what point in the year, what week would you say is the most anxiety-ridden for you? It's always nine. Like, it's always week nine. Um, Like, I take a lot of pride in being as accurate as I can be. Um, And I want that projection that I put out before week nine to be as close to the reality as it can be. Um, And usually what ends up happening is there are, almost immediately, there's one game that goes awry. Yeah. Like, so, and as soon as that happens, it, and a lot of people don't realize this and don't look at the system, a 6A score can 
very easily affect class 1A and the way that the bracket looks. Yeah. Like, it, it's all interlocked. Like, if you have a 6A team that doesn't win a game that they're supposed to win, doesn't get into the field, the line will shift, the representation of who gets into which classes can change. There are so many little things. And last year, the story that the, the storyline that I supported all year long because the data kept telling me that it was going to happen was I thought we were going to, for the first time, get a four and five at-large team in the field. Yeah. At least one. Yeah. And what ended up happening on that last Friday was, I believe, I'm drawn back on memory, there were 22 teams that were four and four that needed to beat a team with a better record than four and four to get into the playoffs. And there's always a few of them that rise up. Like, you can say maybe five to seven teams in that situation do it but there were 14 that did it last year so every happened unless get a team with four and four to pull off that upset beforehand and i did get a couple of those right every time that happened that affected who got into the field because if they were playing a team with a better record in week nine odds are they probably were going to expected to lose that game so spaces had to be created all over the place for these teams that had pulled off upsets in week nine, threw off the whole thing. <laughs> um, it was it was one of those things because you know I'm really I'm really interested in the in the mathematics of it all, and as we slowly start to see less and less eleven man football playoff eligible programs, it stands to reason we're almost going to have to have a four and five team eventually. Right. Right. We're at four four ninety one now. I mean, and if you just divide that in half, I mean, that means that we we're, every week we're issuing two hundred and forty five, two hundred and forty six wins. All right. We need two fifty six to get in the playoffs. Uh huh. So I mean, if you think about it, it's it's going to be difficult to continue to keep above five hundred teams in a two hundred fifty six team field. It's just. It's getting harder and harder to do that. Right now, early projections, I've got six or seven that are in the field as four and five teams. Wow. Um, and that's, like I said, that's consistent with what we were getting last year before what happened in week nine. So uh, we're, we're playing with that little, you know, I guess, apple cart upsetting situation. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch. I think we're going to have... It's going to happen sooner rather than later. It may not be this year, but I think it's going to it's going to happen sometime soon, especially if that number continues to slide off of 491. And just to clarify, um, most of the audience that listens to this podcast will be, you know, Central State Eight, Sagamo, um, some Apollo, I guess, but not much. But close conferences teams, do they have the capability of getting in at four and five, or is it more likely for teams that are outside a close conference? Well, the problem that close conference teams have is that their their uh, their playoff point situation is capped. There's if you are a four and five team, I can tell you right now exactly how many wins that you're going to have or playoff points that you're going to have at the end of the season. Right, and that's not going to be enough. Like it, it's the, it, if you are a four and five team that gets in, I think you're going to need a minimum of 48 to 49 points yeah. to be in that conversation. And there are several teams are out there that have that in place. So, I mean, the, the, 
brass tacks of being in a closed conference is basically if you win, you get four points for that week. If you lose, you get five. So if you're a four and five team, do the math. You, you lost five times, you get five. That's twenty-five, and sixteen. That's forty-one. So that's going to be that's you're going to you're going to finish with forty-one, and that's going to that's not going to put you in a conversation as a four and five team. The Central State Eight Conference next year is scheduled to have. 11 teams in it now. Central State 8, 11 teams. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, how much of a headache is that going to be scheduling-wise when we don't know what exactly they're going to do? They've talked about crossover games, um, but what, what does that kind of change for you know the numbers of things? Well, it, it changes it in the landscape of, it, okay, you have 11 teams, and that means that even if you play crossovers, there's going to be, there's going to be a situation where you have one team a week that can't play a member in the conference. How are they going to decide who that is and who do they schedule? Because if they are scheduling someone just to kind of give them, you know, a a number 12 that's just kind of filling spots in their schedule, like, and that's what some some teams that leagues have done in this situation, um, it probably will have a negative effect because – that's but if they take that week where they're not playing someone in conference schedule a good team and beat them it will help their point situation so it's all a matter of how they lay out the schedule um in regards to who plays who and when you have a i guess i would call that an imbalanced schedule you can have some situations and i think if you look at the big 12 conference which is you know around champaign and bloomington Mm -hmm. um they have an odd number of teams uh be a really new or a really bad thing because you may draw a schedule with weaker teams that don't compile a lot of wins or you might have a stronger schedule and have some success against the better teams in the league so you might have a whole bunch of playoff points the the gamut of how the schedule is put together is going to be interesting to see in that situation i've never seen anybody do an 11 team conference (laughs) in regards to scheduling it's it's there's always there's always an X factor in there that I'm like, I don't know how that works. You yeah. know, that's it's just it's it's tricky because you know sometimes you you might have, and I think there are a couple of conferences right now that have two divisions where you'll find one division is way stronger than the other division. Yeah. And then when you have the crossover games, you know, the weaker division is piling up losses. Um, there are a couple in Illinois that are doing that right now. Um, and then the stronger division is just, you know, they have all these teams at the end of the year, you know, fourth and fifth place teams that have piled up all these losses because the other teams ahead of them are better. And, you know, they're not going to the playoffs, but then that other division has much weaker teams and someone has to go. So it's like, it's, it's very, I think it's very complicated to run up like a 12 team conference or an 11 team conference or 14 team conference and balance it in a way everybody's getting the same opportunity. It's just tricky. I've had a conversation with multiple coaches, um, even multiple referees at this point this year, to where, I mean, the schedule for week two, week three, and week four for us in the Central State 8 and in the Sagamore Conference, uh, it's safe to say that the spreads are four to five touchdowns and you know who's going to win and you know who's going to lose. Um, have you noticed that trend at all up there with you or, you know, is it just something that, that happens sometimes or is, is the, you know, the saying the rich getting richer and the, the poor getting poor? Well, I think, I mean, I think we, I think it's, it's accurate in some cases. The one thing that I have kind of been noticing 
so far this year is that I think we might have fewer like upper echelon teams and fewer teams that don't have much of a chance in yeah. the current structure if that makes any sense that i think the middle group has gotten larger okay so uh, so i think uh, we're always going to have that there's always going to be a team in a 10 team conference there's always going to be a one 10 game that isn't going to be very appealing there's always going to be you know a two nine game that probably is not going to be all that appealing i think where the intrigue is getting is that when like from three to seven in a lot of these leagues uh-huh I think are interchangeable parts in a lot of ways. Like on a, any given Friday, you know, you might have a, a result that is that is different if the two teams played on back-to-back weeks. It's just, it's for me. That's what I'm noticing right now is that it feels like like there are a lot of really good football teams in the state that are one and two right now. There are a lot of uh, you know there are a lot of teams that maybe I didn't think were going to be that strong that have had a pretty weak schedule so far. And maybe it might even be included in the three and O group. Um, I think eventually this all kinds of washes out in the mail, if you will. Yeah. Um, but I have noticed that there have been uh, there have been, like I mentioned before, some situations where maybe some of these these conferences that have crossover games where one division is a lot stronger than the other one, where we're getting a lot of lopsided scores. So it's my hope that once we get into those divisional play, some of that washes out and gets a little bit more even. Um, but yeah, you're seeing, you're seeing lopsided scores, but I don't really know if there's, we've had people say, you know, say that about, you know, if we ever got into it, this is a whole different discussion. If we ever got into an open, everybody gets into the playoff type of situation, all the first round games would be these blowouts. So yeah. I do it. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think there's any way to avoid those things. It just, I, there are going to be blowouts. We can't, we can't run from them. We, I mean, like you can't start reforming conferences every year to say, okay, yeah. these guys got beat by everybody. <laughs> everybody last year, we got to put them in a division where this, this won't happen again. Yeah, it's just you. It, it's it's a non-predictable element of what you're doing. It, obviously, there are some programs that have struggled for a really long time. Sometimes that continues for you know longer than anyone would like. But I mean, there's only so much you can do in that situation. It's just. You got to hope that eventually they turn the tide. Um, but as far as like restructuring and rescheduling to avoid blowouts, good luck. I, I don't think I don't need any sort of formula that you can come up with that are going to avoid us. I mean, that's why the running clock exists. Yeah. We'll try to make them a little less painful <laughs> because they're they're just going to happen. I mean, there's there's too much variance between you know consistently strong programs and and programs that maybe have not met that standard so that you can't I mean it's so difficult but I mean they happen like I said I mean I've wondered a little bit about your area sometimes on how you guys score so many points in those games like (laughs) are you running different clock I've had a running joke with uh, Coach Leonard at Rochester about how you guys use different clocks in the Central <laughs> State because I'm like, how does, how, how does everybody seem to be like every winner score like 65 points a game in that league? I just don't understand. Yeah. It. I'm like, how are, oh, well, how are you guys? How is oh, how's those clocks working? <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of you know running clocks and 65 points, uh, let's get to Sacred Heart Griffin. Um, hopefully, people are still listening to this point because this is what kind of why we started this conversation and why I got you on this week is, you know, you sent me a message the other day saying there's a possibility that Sacred Heart Griffin could fall into 3A. Um, obviously, people know 
how good they are this year. They finished runner-up in 4A last year to one of the best JCA teams I've, I've seen in a long time um, What and bring everybody back. So the question is, you know, how how does that conversation start or what do you see or, you know, I'll, I'll just let you take the floor there. Well, when it comes down to talking about, like, why, you know, why a team might fall in a certain class, um, you kind of have to look at the construction of who's getting in. And you also have to look at the fact that, you know, a lot of people don't realize this. I mean, you consider Sacred Heart Griffin, you know, all the postseason success that they've had at 4A and in some cases 5A, uh, you know, they they've they've done so because of various like multiplier factors and things like that but right now sacred heart griffin's enrollment number is 607 that is in the grand scheme of things pretty low yeah so to start off they're usually pretty close to the 3a 4a line it's just people don't talk about it because they haven't gotten to the point where it's like oh they might actually be in there but what's happening now is you're looking at it from the perspective of okay who's getting it and who's not getting it and there are a lot of teams that you're that accustomed to maybe getting in maybe they don't do a lot of damage in the playoffs but they usually find themselves getting in the playoffs who aren't doing so well this year so their paths to the playoffs maybe aren't as strong as they've usually been so what it's doing is it's kind of pushing Griffin up the line all right, and right now they sit on the general enrollment board, they sit at team 198. So that's all teams across all classes. All right, so eventually you're gonna have to, you know, to get Sacred Heart into Griffin into 3A, they'd have to drop the position 96. So that means 102 teams between the first team on the list and where Sacred Heart Griffin stand on the enrollment list right now need to be a field. Usually that number, exceptionally close to that number. But right now, like as I'm counting it up, I have 99 of those teams coming off the board. <laughs> so that's, that tells you where we're at. Yeah. So we're in a discussion right now of like, okay, maybe I'm, Maybe I'm wrong about those 99 teams. Maybe there are five or six of them in there that will eventually find those bids. But if they don't, and I'm further wrong about a couple more teams that I think are going to get those bids, that's what happens, all right? We, we, we would see that happen. They would move into that position. So, I mean, it's that's where it becomes really tricky and they're – Obviously, there's a lot of teams in that in that mix that are going to make the field. You can I can go through and block off 75 of them for you right now. Yeah. But when it gets dicey, is when you get into those teams that are right now. I don't know if they're going to finish at five and four or four and five, but I think they're going to be in that discussion. So there's going to be one game over the course of the next five weeks that probably decides that very thing. So detecting that game, seeing the result when it happens is going to be whether or not that list jumps from you know where it's at right now which is 99 and it changes into either less than that or more than that is what's going to be able to like it caught my eye immediately this week because we saw when i went through and did my my projection finally i roll the list and look at it and i look at where the lines are yeah and i looked and it was really strange because i saw some teams 
that I have not seen in a while hovering around those lines. Like with Sacred Heart Griffin at three, and then the, the, the four line Rochester was clear into four. Yeah. And that almost never happens. Yeah. So that what that tells me is that there's something going on in the small school classifications right now, which means we're not, there aren't as many of them getting to that line as they usually do. And that's what's causing this. There are big schools that are doing better than they usually do that are pushing that line up. So if you're seeing upstart programs that are like, oh, those guys are doing really well this year, just make a mental note in your head. What class are those guys from? Like, are they a 6A team? Yeah. Great team. I mean, so every time there's a surprise team, that's what pushes the line. If they are, if it's a 1A or a 2A team, then it pushes back down. And then Sacred Heart Griffin is farther into the 4A group. But right now, the, the, the numbers are pushing pretty significantly towards them being on and up 4A if they stay. And then there's obviously 50 different avenues that could potentially push them into three. There are probably 75 different avenues that could keep them there. But sorting all these out every week is what I'm looking for. It's, and it becomes, a, I mean, this is a, this is going deep into the weeds. Yeah. But the, but the public league changed the way that they qualify their schools for the playoffs this year. And that is really having an effect as well, because in the past you would have, you would have multiple conferences that had kind of their better Chicago public league teams at the top of them. Well, this year, they're fairly successful programs and put them into the league. So there are two leagues in the public league that have most of the schools that you associate public leagues football success with. But they also have seven other leagues, a bunch of programs in them, where there's going to be playoff qualifiers that come out of those that, I'll be honest, I don't know anything about them. Yeah. So... Enrollment list are a big deal right now. They might be a 6A school. They might be a 3A school. These programs will actually have any success. They're taking up a spot. But where is that spot? So that's what I'm really looking at here and who is likely to take those bids the first thing I look at is what their enrollment number is because if it's a 250 enrollment school then I'm like well okay that's a that's a that's going to be in the 1A field if it's a 950 school well that's a 5A so I mean you have to kind of you're slotting in these schools that you've never slotted in before yeah so you don't really know how it's going to affect the overall landscape until you get it all on paper there and I think that's one of the undercurrent things that's affecting this as well is that we're not we're we're going to see some we're going to see some schools that you know they're a Chicago Public League school but you've never you may never heard of them before I mean, I, I study this all year long, and there are eight to ten of them that literally <laughs> I had no I, I had no idea, no clue. Yeah, didn't I don't know anything about them because for years they, then they doing this. They have two tiers in the public league. There's a group of teams that are playing football but are not eligible to participate in the IHSA playoffs. Well, some of them moved up, and like I was I was driving in the city the other day, and I passed one of those schools, and I'm like. 
there we go. It does exist. <laughs> I, I, it was, I mean, I didn't, I, I mean, that's kind of a little fun little habit of mine when I drive past schools that I've never seen before. And I'm like, add that one to the list, you know, but it was not quite a Bishop and, Sycamore or anything, but you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, not that I was questioning their acceptance, <laughs> but it was like, I didn't know, like, you know, I'm like, I didn't know anything about some of these schools because it's like, I, I put together a Friday night scoreboard and I, I have this program that I use for it. And I put all of these, I put all the school logos that I can find in there just to kind of neaten it up a little bit. And I went on a research project that, uh, in the middle of July. The schedules came out because I bought all these school logos for these schools that I didn't know that about. Uh, cool. Some of them have really cool logos, though. I'll give them that. <laughs> uh, but but uh, yeah, so that's it. That's where we're at. Is it's. It's going to be, I mean, we always have this Rochester thing that we're watching on the 4A to 5A. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that happens every year, and um, and that's something that I think is still in play, but based on the early returns, I I, I have a heavy lean towards Rochester finishing in four. When you're looking at it, I think Rochester is definitely, you know, kind of like leaning heavily towards 4A, but, you know, the Sacred Heart Griffin thing was kind of a new development. It's something that I've always kind of, roughly keeping an eye on but i'm never i'm always never gonna happen but i saw a patch and it was it was very interesting and that's kind of why i sent you that message just to because i thought you'd be at the very least as interested in it as i was and obviously you were so oh yes um, definitely i think a lot of people around here will be too <laughs> yeah it's 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 gonna be interesting to watch it's just yeah i mean i've been doing this long enough to know looking at it or maybe it's just an early season blip um i don't think this is an early season blip i think this is something that's going to be worth monitoring you know from week to week very much so awesome well i appreciate your time i've taken up enough of it so uh, i just want to say thank you and uh, i appreciate all the work that you do i know a lot of people do um thanks for your time today and uh we'll definitely touch base again soon all right, sounds great, Derek. Thanks. Thanks to Steve for his time. Hopefully we can get him back on sometime this fall to talk some more football and a little bit more of the playoff outlook. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And remember, we still need a sponsor for this podcast. I will see you next week. Next week.